Hello everyone, this is Jim Lucy, Editor-in-Chief for Electrical Wholesaling and Electrical Marketing with the February 21st edition of the Today's Electrical Economy podcast sponsored by Champion Fiberglass. The company began producing epoxy fiberglass conduit fittings in 1988 and in 1989 developed the first conduit from epoxy resins that had flame resistance and low smoke characteristics. This met the most stringent codes and specifications. Our podcast today will explore January's increase in electrical product and construction material pricing and discuss a new market opportunity that's starting to gain momentum, offshore wind farms. But let's first check out some key weekly indicators that can give you a better sense of where the electrical market may be heading in the coming weeks and months. Initial employment claims at the state level, rail freight car traffic, the Baker Hughes rig count, oil prices, and copper prices. Our thanks again to Champion Fiberglass for sponsoring the Today's Electrical Economy podcast series for 2022. For the week ending February the 12th, the advanced figure for seasonally adjusted unemployment claims was 248,000, an increase of 23,000 from the previous week's revised level. The current unemployment rate through January stands at 4%. These eight states had the largest decreases in unemployment claims for the week ending February the 12th. Pennsylvania with a decrease of 1,768. New Jersey with an increase of 1,073, Wisconsin with a decrease of 1,032, Texas with a decrease of 843, Massachusetts with a decline of 787, Connecticut with a decline of 757 claims, Maryland with a decline of 617 claims, and South Carolina with a decline of 543 unemployment claims. Five states had increases in unemployment claims of at least 1,000 for the week ending February 12th. They were Missouri with an increase of 7,130 claims, Ohio with an increase of 5,302 claims, Kentucky with an increase of 4,535 claims, Tennessee with an increase of 1,640 claims, and Illinois with an increase of 1,001 claims. One of the more interesting leading economic indicators for the overall U.S. economy is the freight rail traffic because it's a measure of the amount of raw materials and finished goods being shipped by rail. The best source for this data is the American Association of Railroads, which publishes this data weekly for free at www.aar.org. For the week ending February the 12th, the total U.S. weekly rail traffic was 504,482 carloads and intermodal units. That's up 5% compared with the same week last year. However, for the first six weeks of 2022, traffic is down. Total combined U.S. rail traffic for the first weeks of 2022 was 2,866,342 carloads and intermodal units. That's a decrease of 6.1% compared to the same time last year. AR reported that only three categories have increases year-over-year through the week ending February the 12th. Coal at 5.6%, non-metallic minerals at 5.1%, and chemicals at 0.8%. The biggest declines for the week ending February the 12th were in petroleum and petroleum products at 20.1%, motor vehicles and parts at 19.8%, and grain at 14% decline. If you track the oil market, you've probably heard of the Baker Hughes Free Count, which tracks oil and gas rigs that are operating on a weekly basis. The data is available by state, by basin, and nationally at www.rigcount.bakerhughes.com. This slide gives you an idea of the largest oil and gas deposits. It gives you a good sense of just how many of these large oil plays are in Texas and Oklahoma, and how big an area the Marcellus Gas Region covers in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and parts of West Virginia. The Baker Hughes rig count remains ahead of last year's pace with 645 operational rigs. That's up 248 rigs from this time last year. 
The Permian Basin and Eagle Ford accounted for nearly half of this increase, and they were up 127 rigs combined. The Williston Basin in North Dakota also had a nice increase with 20 or more operating rigs year over year. The Connell Woodford Basin also had a pretty nice increase. They are up 17 rigs from last year. The price for a barrel of West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil was at $90.60 per barrel. As you can see on the chart on the left, it spent a fair amount of time under that magical $90 per barrel mark. While oil has been tracking upward for quite some time, concerns over the situation in the Ukraine and the potential for any disruption to global oil supplies from that conflict are expected to drive prices up even more. While there are also concerns about the disruption in Russia's natural gas pipeline, and the fact that gas prices have risen recently, we haven't yet seen an increase in the number of gas rigs coming online in the U.S., according to the Baker Hughes rig count data. The blue line on the slide for oil rigs clearly shows a significant increase in rigs coming online since 2020. The orange line for gas rigs doesn't show yet any increase. It's interesting to note the peak in gas rigs in 2008 to 2009 and how it correlates with the increases in fracking and natural gas development in Marcellus Shale region in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia. Economists like to call copper pricing Dr. Copper because it's a leading economic indicator for future economic activities. Copper is used in so many industries, with the construction industry being among the leading markets because of its use in wiring cable and copper plumbing pipe. Copper prices continued to ride high, and on Monday, February the 21st, they were sitting at $4.52 per pound on the COMEX exchange. Anything above $4.50 is on the high end of copper's trading range over the past year. The historical surge in pricing for electrical products continued in January, and the re there's record increases across the board. Let's take a look at some of the individual product categories that saw the biggest increases. As you can imagine, the products with large content in steel or copper had the biggest increases. Kind of things were at the top of our electrical price index and electrical marketing with 52.5% increase year over year. Pole and hardware in the utility market was also up over 50%. We saw some big increases for power wiring cable, heavy and copper at 44.4%, building wire up 25.8%. If you would like to see this information for product, our electrical price index and electrical marketing, you can get that for just $99 a month for a subscription to our newsletter. Other areas of the construction market also saw some huge increases in product pricing. Look at the price increase from the Producer price index compiled monthly by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics for lumber and plywood up 21.1% compared in January compared to last January in 2021. Diesel fuel up 56.5%, asphalt up 46%, steel mill products up 112%, steel pipe and tube up 77%. Definitely some huge increases across the construction market. Electrical wholesaling and electrical marketing have been reporting on the business potential of offshore wind farms for several years, but it's been just over the past few months that we're starting to see some of this potential translate into real sales opportunities for the electrical wholesaling industry. Well, we're going to talk a little bit in the following slides about where these opportunities will be for electrical distributors, electrical manufacturers, reps, and their customers. Let's take a look at a couple of news items in the offshore wind market that would be of interest to folks in the electrical market. About a week ago, we got a release from Southport that says that they will be manufacturing 32 miles of high-voltage cable for the vineyard wind farm off the coast of Massachusetts that broke ground back in November. Another thing that will be of interest, it will be in the future, will be a huge auction that's going to be taking place on February the 23rd for 480,000 acres off the coast of New Jersey and New York for future wind farms. 
this, these leases could result in the production of up to seven gigawatts of power from the wind turbines, and that's kind of that could be enough to power up to two million homes. Another thing that we've been seeing quite a bit lately is there's some shipyards in the United States starting to get contracts for crew transfer vehicles or CTVs. These vessels will be bringing workers to and from wind farms. I think some of the biggest impact for the offshore wind development is actually going to be in the onshore development for support facilities along the coast. There's going to be lots of work in the electrical construction in the staging facilities for the staging assembly and even training of folks in the winter business. There's also going to be a lot of opportunities for all the electrical products that are going to go into the utility connections from the onshore uh, switchgear and related products from the connecting these offshore wind farms to the grid. Uh, one, one example of a big project that has just been, is starting to get moving right now is the New Jersey Windport, a little bit south of Camden and Philadelphia in the Delaware Bay. It's going to be estimated to be over $300 million to $400 million worth of total construction costs, and it's intended to service a 1,100-megawatt 1, 1, wind farm facility being built by Orsted off the Atlantic City coast. You can see also in the slides some of the other facilities that are will be built to service some of the New York wind farms. You've even, you even have a tower facility all the way up the Hudson River in Albany that's going to be manufacturing towers. will be taking those down by the Hudson River Bay Barge and out into New York Bay to the wind farms. We've got a foundation manufacturing facility. Actually, one of the bigger facilities in this area is going to be in the South Brooklyn Marine Terminal, and that's going to be for staging assembly operations. Uh, also, you'll have crews coming and going. You'll also even have some a, a new wind training institute at Stony Brook Campus and in Farmingdale training fo folks on for the opportunities in wind farms. So there's quite a few different types of impact that you're going to start seeing for wind farms that you might not normally think of. A lot of people take a look at the wind farms. They see the turbines. They see they think about the foundations that are going in. Uh, that's all going to be big. And in many cases, the actual construction, uh, some of the offshore, or I should say the uh, players from over Europe, like uh, Orsted, uh, is going, or will be doing quite a bit of that type of construction work. But the support facilities, bringing people in and out to these wind farms, as I mentioned earlier, some of the shipyards that will be building some of the boats for this, and of course, some of the uh, electrical product suppliers from the U.S. will be actually very big for, for us here. This slide gives you an idea of the sheer scale of some of these offshore wind projects that are going to be built over the next couple of years. The largest of them, the Empire Wind 2 farm, is over, well over a, a gigawatt of electricity. It's going to be located 15 to 30 miles uh, southeast of Long Island. And when it is finished in 2027, it's expected to power 1 million homes in New York. We have another big project going in not too far from there, 60 miles east of Montauk Point. It's expected to start operating commercially by 2028, another also over a gigawatt. There's also two farms over a gigawatt off the coast of New Jersey that are called the Ocean Wind 1 and Ocean Wind 2 farms. They're going to be built by Orsted. Uh, they're supposed to be finished by around 2024. And they're going to be each of those farms is going to power approximately 500,000 homes. There's quite a bit off the coast of New York. New Jersey, uh, some of some smaller ones uh, that were actually already operating. You've got the Block Island Wind Farm. It's a 30 megawatt farm, five turbines. It's powering 17,000 homes in Rhode Island. It's, it started doing that in uh, 2016. We've got a small, almost like a demonstration project, I guess you could call it, off 27 miles off the coast of Virginia Beach. And that's been operational 2020 to 12 megawatt, two turbine facility. But when you compare the size of those smaller projects with some of the gigawatt ones, you can start to get a sense of just exactly how many people are going to be powering their homes with wind power. So it's uh, some pretty big numbers here for sure.
That concludes our presentation for today. A special thanks again for the Champion Fiberglass sponsorship for the Today's Electrical Economy series of podcasts. We continue to get some great feedback from folks whenever we see you out in the market. And I'm glad to be presenting this to you. contact me if there's any other type of economic data you'd like to cover in these podcasts. Our next presentation will be on Monday, March the 14th. Until then, stay healthy, be happy. Look forward to talking with you then. Take care.